again, Happy New Year, everyone. Uh, we are in 2019 now, which I feel like at this point we're in the future. Because back to the future, um, when they went to the future, they went to 2015. That was four years ago, which feels weird to me. I don't know how you feel about that. Um, for New Year's Eve, uh, Becca and the kids and I, we went to uh, Chicago. And we went and we hung out. And uh, this is what the, the New, Year's Eve's, uh, New Year's Eve fireworks looked like. They have, I don't know if you've ever been to Chicago, but there's a Chicago River that runs through the, kind of the heart of the city. And there's like many bridges that go over the river. And every single bridge had fireworks like this. It was kind of a neat experience. Um, we were going to stay up late for it. And so I'm staying up late with my wife. And then um, I decided to go to bed because I'm old now, I think. And she woke me up and said, we have to do this. And I'm glad she did. It was really neat. I hope you guys had a good new year as well. Um, I mentioned the new year this morning because New Year's Day ends a season of anticipation and intensity. It's kind of the capstone for the holiday season, isn't it? And the holiday season, if you can remember back like 30 days ago, but it seems like an eternity, right? If you can remember back that far, it started with Advent and we started to anticipate this Christmas thing that was going to happen where there'd be Christmas morning and Christmas parties and Christmas services and Christmas dinners. And it was all really exciting to anticipate all of these things. And for our kids, it was like a really big deal because this anticipation was in presence, right? Like there'd be these presents that appear under the tree and the kids are looking at them and like, I wonder what's under that thin piece of paper. Like I just want it right now. And so they're anticipating these presents and some of us adults perhaps feel like we anticipate those presents still today too. I don't know. And then Christmas Day comes and goes, and then we're immediately met with a, a new reality and a new intensity and a new anticipation, right? Because as soon as Christmas comes and goes, like just days away, we have this thing called New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. And New Year's Eve and New Year's Day are filled with more feasting and hopefully days off and celebrations and all that fun stuff. And some of us will plan to make it to to that one moment where we hit zero and we celebrate and it's a great time and some of us will sleep at 9.30 because we just can't do it because it's so late, right? Like it's a really important day. And then New Year's Day comes and New Year's Day goes and the celebrations are complete and the feasts have been eaten and the confetti has been swept up and taken care of. And suddenly, we're thrust into this brave new reality after all this season of anticipation. And that moment happens for me every single year, same time, same day. It's January 2nd, right? January 2nd, I wake up. And I have this routine when I wake up, I groggily wake up and I can, you know, it's like your vision's kind of blurry and you go and, and I walk into the bathroom and then I walk over to the scale and then I go and then I step on the scale and then I look down and I see a number and it's like, I must be too tired. And I look down again and it's not a good number and then depression strikes, right? Has anyone else had this experience before on January 2nd? And then we think to ourselves, right, in this moment, well, Ah, I need to get in shape. I need to hit the gym. I need to take off a couple LBs. And then we have this New Year thing. And then we remember, oh, the New Year's resolution. Is anyone with me? Have we done this before? Right. I'm sure we have. 
And then this New Year's resolution comes, and we have this new resolve in us. We are going to lose the weight, or whatever it may be for you. We're going to get our finances in order this year, right? That's our resolution this year. Or we're going to keep the garage clean this year. That's our resolution this year. Or we're going to actually wake up early every morning, and we're going to pray, and we're going to meet with God, and we're going to read our scriptures every single morning. That's our resolution this year. And did you know statistically that there are only two primary resolutions that actually uh, kind of play themselves out every year. One poll last year found that 53% of all resolutions last year were to save money. 53%. It's interesting. Um, and then second place, with 45%, uh, people resolve to lose weight every single year. Now, if you do math, and I'm terrible at it, but I think I figured it out, that leaves only 2% of, of resolutions being anything else besides those two, which I think is at least interesting. Now, for a while, we have our resolution, and we're crushing our resolutions, right? Like, we've got it in the bag. We've got this thing down. We've lost weight. We stepped on the scale, and the number went down. It was a good thing. We got our, our bank statement, and like, the bank statement looks better. We got our credit card statement, and it's lower. Everything's working out. We woke up three days in a row to spend time with God. We are crushing this resolution thing. And then something happens, right? And I'm sure it's only happened to me, but like there's this day and the wheels suddenly seem to fall off the resolution and we just stop. Anyone done this before? It's just been me, perhaps. And so we give up on our resolution because it got hard and then we failed. And then perhaps for some of us, we think this resolution thing is kind of silly. Like, why do I do this thing every year when they seem to fail? Did you know 80% of all resolutions fail in the United States? That's a study. Did you know that 80% of all New Year's resolutions fail before February 1? <laughs> yes, you did know because you're a part of it. I get it. I understand this. But here's the thing. What if that New Year's resolution thing, that silly New Year's resolution thing that we do every year or perhaps some of us scoff at every year, I don't know where you are on this topic, um, what, if, what if they actually could matter? Like, what if a New Year's resolution mattered? In fact, what if our New Year's resolutions didn't just matter, like to us, but, but what if the God of the universe actually cared about our New Year's resolutions? Wouldn't that be something? Now, for the next couple weeks, we thought it'd be fun to talk about New Year's resolutions because many of us have them. By a raise of hands, how many of you made a New Year's resolution this year? It's like 20%. We're struggling. I understand. <laughs> now, uh, so for the next few weeks, that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about New Year's resolutions because you see, New Year's resolutions, what they really are, is there an annual attempt to reorder our lives, isn't it? Isn't that what it is? To, to be a better person, to be a healthier person, to be a more productive person, to be a more spiritual person, whatever it may be, it's to reorder our lives in a better way. And you see, God cares deeply about how we order our lives. God actually cares about that. And you see, 
Yes, God is in the business of of saving souls, but God is in the business of more than that. You see, God cares about the small things in our lives too. God actually cares about our health and the way we treat our bodies and our weight. And God might even care if we floss or not. I know, our dentists, like they're praying right now. I don't know what they're doing. Um, God cares about our finances and the way we handle money and what we use our money for. And God cares about the other 2% of New Year's resolutions, right? God cares about all of it. In fact, and Lorianne uh, just said, said this passage this morning, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And the all in that passage literally refers to all, like all parts of our lives, all of it do for the glory of God. The big and the small, the important and what we view as the meaningless in our lives, all of it for the glory of God. Of God, So I want us to see this this morning, and to do so, I want us to turn to our scripture uh, reading this morning. Um, our scripture reading is found in Matthew 5, verses 17 through 20. If you have your Bible, I highly recommend you open up there with us. And our scripture reader this morning is going to be Cricket Sterling, and Cricket, you can head on up when you are ready as well. And what we do is we stand here for the reading of God's word, if you're able to, and we face the center of the room where God's word is read, and we do so because this book is the greatest story ever told. It's a true story, the story of Jesus. So Cricket, take it away. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commandments and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commandments will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Thank you, Cricket. You may be seated. Now, per, uh, perhaps you've heard this passage before. It's, a, it's kind of a famous passage. The passage is found kind of in the body of what's called um, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Um, the Sermon on the Mount is the longest section in the Bible that we have of Jesus' teaching, um, kind of continuous section, which means it's really important to the church, and it has been for thousands of years. Um, many Christians through the centuries have actually called the Sermon on the Mount um, the greatest sermon ever preached, and I love that. I think that they're right there. Now, the little chunk of scripture that we just um, heard this morning from the Sermon on the Mount, um, it's been interpreted many different ways by many different people, but there's one primary way that it's been understood, um, and that is that Jesus is outlining in this passage how he is the fulfillment of the Jewish law which would be like the first five books of the Old Testament. The Jews would call it the Torah, right? The first five books. Or think the Ten Commandments. Or um, Jews would think 613 commandments. Like that's what the law is. And Jesus says he is the fulfillment of that um, law. Jesus specifically says in our scripture reading that he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. 
Now in Jesus' day, for Jesus to say something like this would have been fairly radical in his day. Because most Jews in Jesus' day and today, in fact, believe that perfectly following the law is like something that doesn't happen. That's incredibly difficult to do. In fact, some Jews today believe that the reason their Messiah has not come, in, come yet is because the Jews have not got their acts together and they're not actually following the law perfectly. And the day that that happens is the day when their Messiah will come. But Jesus here says that he came to be the first to follow God's law perfectly to fulfill it. Which means that Jesus' life is what fully embodying God's law looks like. And you see, it matters that Jesus says this because it implies something important for us. You see, God's law that he gave to his people um, has really never been seen as a list of rules, right? The Ten Commandments, we see them as rules, but the law is bigger than that. The law is a way of life for folks in the scriptures. God's law was understood to be God's ideal for how the world was supposed to work. The law is the way the world should function, the way that God created the world to function. And so what happens when one embodies the law perfectly is that that person helps make the world the way God created it to be originally. Are you tracking? It's why in the New Testament, when Jesus is questioned by the religious elite about the kingdom of God, um, which the kingdom of God is kind of a, a shorthand for the way the world is intended to be, right? When God reigns, this is what Jesus says in Luke 17. He says, uh, it says, once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of of the, uh, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. And what Jesus is saying here is that the kingdom of God is right here. Like when Jesus is present, somehow the kingdom of God is present. And the kingdom is the way the world is designed to be. And Jesus says this because he perfectly embodies the law and the way and ordering the world is supposed to be. And so the kingdom of God is present everywhere Jesus is present. What's interesting in this Luke passage it says the kingdom of God is in your midst. If you translate that, that's actually an ambiguous um, way of wording it because you could word it a couple different ways. You could word it, the kingdom is in your midst, like our uh, scripture actually says. You can word it differently too. The kingdom is within you. And I think it's intentionally ambiguous because where Jesus goes, the kingdom goes. And I think what Jesus implies here is that um, the kingdom can be present where we are too. The kingdom can be present when we are present too, just as the kingdom is present when Jesus is present. In a sense, what Jesus is saying is there is a way the world is supposed to function. And what Jesus did in his life and ministry and death and resurrection and ascension is he perfectly lived that life the way the world was supposed to be. It's kind of like God created the world with a rhythm to it, right? And when that rhythm is 
followed, the kingdom of God becomes present. And when that rhythm is not followed, well, the opposite becomes present. You know, you may have known this or not, but um, I have been playing drums for about 25 years now. When I was in high school, I played in a band and we traveled to churches uh, leading worship and doing some other things as well. And it was, it was a great time. But the thing that I loved about playing the drums was that the drummer is the one responsible for keeping the rhythm for the whole band. That's the drummer's job. The drummer keeps the timing. The drummer keeps the pace. The drummer is responsible for doing everything that has to do with the rhythm. And when the drummer does a really good job of keeping a rhythm, others have the ability to join into that rhythm. And so perhaps the keyboard steps in and starts playing in that rhythm. And perhaps the guitar steps in and starts strumming into that rhythm. And then the bass guitar steps in and starts playing to that rhythm. And then the vocals start singing to that rhythm. And when all of that works and all, every single instrument is following that rhythm, we call that music, right? That's what music is. And when an instrument falls out of that rhythm, chaos ensues, right? If you ever had a child that wanted to start a rock band in the garage, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like there's a chaos that happens when not every instrument is in step, in rhythm. And you see, God created the world with a rhythm, like, like a drum beat, kind of. And Jesus showed us that rhythm in his life and death and resurrection and ascension. And because Jesus followed the rhythm, the kingdom was near. And you see, when we follow that rhythm, the kingdom comes near too. Now, if you have your Bible, I'd like you to turn back to our scripture reading this morning. It's Matthew 5, 17 through uh, 20. I just want to read it briefly again. It's really short. Matthew 5, 17. It's what Jesus says. He says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of God. Now I want us to zoom in on verse 20 there. It's that last verse. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And what Jesus is saying is that you and I need our lives to follow the rhythm that God started playing when God created the universe. Like that's what's being said there. 
And the way we do that is we follow God's commands and we take God's law seriously with our lives. And Jesus, Jesus showed us what it looks like to follow those commands perfectly. And he embodied those commands perfectly. And so we follow Jesus with all of our lives, right? Like that's what we do. It's the vision statement here at TFRC. We are a vibrant community, passionately what? Modeling Jesus. That's the point. And you see, when we do this, the kingdom comes near to each of us. And the people that surround us and come near to us see the kingdom in us too. Now, I bring all this up because there's a huge implication to this. You see, if what Jesus was saying about the kingdom being near in us, if we follow closely enough, then everything that we do in our lives matters. Perhaps matters far more than we even realize it matters. It, you see, it means that, that the career path that we choose, whatever it may be, matters. The work that we do matters. It, it matters because our career needs to fit into God's right ordering of the world. That matters. It means that the way that we treat our families and neighbors and friends and strangers matters to God. That actually matters. Because the way we treat people needs to fit into the way that God created this world to work. But it's not just big things. It's the small things, too, that matter. It means that the way that we treat our bodies actually matters to God. It actually matters. What we put into our bodies, um, whether it's endless candy like some of us or whatever it may be, that matters to God. To fit into the right ordering of God's world, what we do with our bodies matters. It means that the way that we treat money, the way that we save money, the way that we spend money, the priorities for our money all matter to God because they need to fit into the way that God designed the world to work. Literally, every single aspect of our lives matters to God. And this is why I think Jesus loves the new year. I really do. Because the new year is a fresh opportunity to better fall into the rhythm of life that God designed us to fall into. And that means that God might actually care about our new year's resolutions, whether it sounds funny or not. The question is, when we look at our lives, what in our lives is out of rhythm with God? What is it? What in your life is out of rhythm with the way that God designed our lives to be? You know, for some of us, that's maybe a, a tough question. Um, 
One of the practice, practices I've recently been doing, I do this discipleship group, and one of the books, um, one of the challenges that an author gave was, well, what would, you, what, what would it look like if you just read the Gospels just to be interested in Jesus, just to learn about Jesus, to know everything about him, who he is, what he likes, what he dislikes, what his attitude is like, what is, uh, whatever, anything about Jesus, what would it look like to just try to get to know Jesus? And so I started doing that with the book of Luke, slowly working my way through the book of Luke, trying to learn things about Jesus. And it's been awesome. And I've kept a lot of notes and I've learned so much about just the personality of Jesus, who Jesus is, what Jesus actually valued. I love it. It's great. But I've learned something else and it's kind of an unintentional thing because the more that I learn about Jesus when I do that, I start to see a bit of a dissonance. I don't know if you've had this, where I'm learning about Jesus and then I start looking at my own life and then I see there's a dissonance there, right? Like they're not lining up all that well. That is where my life is out of the rhythm. It's out of the rhythm that God designed this world to play in. What is it for you? Where does your life look different from Jesus where it's out of rhythm? in this season, in the new year. So if either you've picked a New Year's resolution already or perhaps you haven't done so already, um, this is a great moment to think about that, to make a resolution about trying to fit better into God's rhythm for the world, the way that God created the world to be. The question is, what is it for you? You know, on that list, we've got money and weight and then the other 2%. I'm going with the weight one this year because I see my life and my habits around that and I see that it's out of order. It's not in rhythm. It's not the way that God designed it to be and so I'm going after that. Perhaps for you, that's what it is too. Um, for others of us, according to the study, 53% of others of us, we're going after money this year. Perhaps you're looking at your finances and you say, it's way out of order. This is not the way that God designed me to use money. Um, we have a financial peace class where it won't be this Wednesday, but it's going to start up next Wednesday. Jump into that um, to reorder your finances, to live more into the rhythm that God created this world to be. Or perhaps you're a 2% person and it's something else. What is it? See, Jesus loves the new year because the new year is an opportunity to model Jesus better, right? Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, uh, we thank you that you take interest in our lives. Uh, we thank you that Yes, you take interest in our salvation, of course, God, but you take interest in the rest, too. You care about us. God, you designed us um, with a, a specific way of being in mind, God, and we recognize that all of us, we, we fall short of that, God. And we ask for your spirit in this new year to help us better align, to help us follow Jesus more closely, to really bring the kingdom near so that the world can see and hear all about you, God. We pray for that in this season. We pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Let me leave you with this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord raise his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.
Happy New Year.